Hi there, welcome along to today's High Performance Podcast. And the premise of this podcast is really simple. Opening up the minds of true high performers so that you and I can learn everything there is to learn about high performance. Every single episode just brings something new, a small nugget of information, a different viewpoint on the world. And I created this podcast because I grew up in a small village in Norfolk and I believed that there was something that successful people knew or a door that had been opened to them that would never be opened to me as a kid from a small village with a dad who was a charity worker and a mum who was a teacher. And then slowly over time, when I was spending years in the Formula One paddock and I was speaking to the people at the very top of that sport, I realized there is no secret. There are just ways of living that can take you closer to a high performance life. And every week on this podcast, we aim to unlock those secrets. Today, we hear from a truly inspiring woman. I always say to people, be less tough on yourselves. We're so tough on ourselves. And also, you know, there is a great, you know, English trait as well. You know, we, we do put ourselves down. And I think start being kinder to yourself. We have huge powers that we leave untapped because we actually just define ourselves by how others are and where we are compared to. Stop that. Oh, it's a good one, this episode. I think you're going to get loads out of it. Before we go any further, though, let me just remind you, if you haven't done already, to sign up to the High Performance Circle. It's our members club. It gives you access to so much more from the High Performance Podcast, and it's totally free. All you have to do is go to thehighperformancepodcast.com, click on the circle, you'll get an invite, and you're in. That's thehighperformancepodcast.com. Of course, you can follow us on Instagram at High Performance. You can check out our YouTube channel where you can watch the interviews as well as hear them. There are so many ways that you can interact with us here on the High Performance Podcast. But this is the heart of the story. These podcasts are the very reason that we created this high performance brand. So I hope you get loads from today's episode. Enjoy. The brilliant Mary Portis comes next. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, of course you know by now that our founding partner on the High Performance Podcast is Lotus Cars. Two big bits of news, though, when it comes to the wonderful people at Lotus Cars. Damien and myself were down at the Goodwood Festival of Speed this weekend, and we recorded a very special episode with a former Formula One world champion in front of a live audience. Um, You can hear that one here on High Performance very soon. And coming your way on Wednesday, in partnership with Lotus Cars, we start our Olympics special, a run of special podcast episodes with current and former Olympians that, again, will open your mind to a new way of thinking and a new way of seeing the world. That starts Wednesday here on the High Performance Podcast. And as always, it wouldn't be possible without the brilliant, brilliant, kind, generous people at Lotus Cars. Check them out across social media at Lotus Cars. They've got a brand new car out. They are the true epitome of high performance. So often, entrepreneurship is about opportunity, seeing the opportunity, grabbing the opportunity, then making the most of it. And having lived through a global pandemic, it certainly takes a unique mindset to believe that we can thrive. However, today's guest has written a book called Rebuild, all about how we bounce back stronger. However, the author of this book, which is about transformation, knows all about a life of transformation, because that's exactly what she has done time and time again. It's a pleasure to welcome to High Performance, Mary Portas. Welcome along. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. We always start with the same question to all of our guests. In your mind, what is high performance? Well, for me, in the way that I work, um, high performance is a group of people. It's certainly not me as an individual. Um, It might be in my head, but it's about creating an environment that is conducive and creative and stimulates. And I put culture right at the heart of it. It's probably the most important thing um, that drives a symbiotic energy together to reach a goal that you all believe in. Not some goal that you've just put up there that might be a number, but a goal that you believe in. That to me is high performance at its best. And I've been in times where it's happened and I actually feel like I'm in some sort of energy connection in your body. You feel it happening. And there are times you can just feel it when you're all together. It's just, it's wonderful. It's, it's where you're totally aligned and in your vortex. So when we talk then about a, a positive culture, a culture that makes you feel alive and feel in the way you've just described, what is that culture that really kind of gets you going? Well, I think, you know, and I don't want to, the the word gets bandied about so often, um, purpose, you know, but I think one has to have a shared philosophy or purpose or goal. I think that is, that is vitally important. And I, and as I say, I don't think it's just, we're going to make X amount, but it might be, we're going to make X amount by a certain time. And you might find that that is your shared purpose and everybody does whatever to achieve it. For me, that's never been the case because I always believe if you have a really focused purpose that you believe in together and you believe in what you can deliver as a team of people, then the money comes it's a byproduct. And I've always done that, in, even in selling. You know, I've never, ever, in my whole career in retail, looked at what I'm selling. I've created something that connects with people and the byproduct so, is that So they you buy. are about the process, not the outcome? Totally about the process. That comes from um, what I can describe as, as a collaborative energy. And if, if you have a drain within that and not a radiator, it can, it can stop the whole engine moving. There's a lovely line in your new book, Mary, where you say that 
One of the great coaching questions you use is start where you are. You're never more empowered than the moment that you're in. So would you tell us a little bit about where you are at the moment with this? Well, that quote actually came from Pema Chodron, who's a Buddhist nun, and everyone's like, well, are you a Buddhist? No, but if you look at the teachings of Buddhism and you look at so many of the great philosophers, it's where, you know, there's centuries of this, you know, Socrates walking around the Agora, there's a reason this great intellects and, and thinking has moted so much of us to Day and is still relevant. Um, where I am is just now. I mean, I don't. I don't look any further than that. I don't do three-year plans and I don't do five-year plans. I do. Where am I now? And where do I believe we can get to? But I don't put a time scale on it. And where I am now is. Um, sort of post-COVID, which I think most people are. I don't know whether we'll ever completely be post-COVID, but I'm in a place of um, acceptance and resilience and actually huge excitement because I know there's change happening and it's probably the biggest change I've ever seen in my lifetime and I'm glad it's in my lifetime. Um, And I think there's going to be such incredible entrepreneurship that's going to come out of this and I hope I'm one even though I'm 60. Can you explain (laughs) to us though how you've got to that point because I think it's brilliant to sit here and have a really positive optimistic conversation with someone but we have a lot of messages from people who are telling us that actually they're still kind of trudging through the post-covid sludge and even if the world has changed their mindset hasn't followed so what have you been doing to get yourself to this point of not just acceptance but excitement? about where we're at now well it it didn't start like that you know um i mean i think the first chapter in my book is there i was you know and i was actually in australia when this first hit and people were talking about all this something's happened in china and you know we all got on the flight didn't think any of it no masks you know got back to london and within a very short space of time we were in a place where we had to shut down our office shut down our business all my clients are retailers or, or brands that are associated with selling. And I overnight, I think within the space of four weeks, went to 50% drop in business. Just like that. With, and, and I think we have to remember that none of us know anything that we know now. No one knew what was going to happen. This was before Sunat was talking about furloughs. No, we were all, what the hell is happening here? And the first thing was complete fear. Utter fear. It is you know, I was, I've always been the breadwinner in my family. And there I was with three kids under one roof. I mean, one was totally financially secure on his own. One was doing her master's and I have a little eight-year-old. And, you know, 60 staff uh, that were going, how are we going to do this? I mean, it was just, it was debilitating actually, first of all, because it was like hitting, well, driving in the fast lane on a motorbike without a helmet and then you hit the wall. Mm. That's all I can describe it as. And so all the learnings and all that I'd done and all, all the psychology and uh, that I that I'd brought into my life and the teachings, I could I just couldn't pull on them, I just couldn't, and I I actually felt let down myself. And I remember even standing in my bathroom and looking at myself, and I, I think physically I changed. <laughs> What's happened to you? And. Um, I even remember sending out an email to all the people who were saying, do you want a Zoom call? We're doing it, you know, we're doing a dance yeah. tonight and drink. And I'm like, <laughs> sorry, you know, what world are they in that I'm not in? And uh, all of this. And I remember writing to all about 15 of my friends and saying, leave me for the moment, will you? Just really? Back. Oh, yeah. And I sat with it. I just sat with it physically 
at, through my body. I let it come through each time and, um, and came to this place of acceptance that this is. And you, the only way is to move forward with acceptance and knowing that change has to happen mm. and facing that, truly facing that and not trying to hang on to the bank you know, as the boat's sailing down a different path, not only really different paths, so the boat's going down the river and the river is shooting off that way and the currents that you thought you'd normally expect and you're not clinging onto that bank, get off the bank. And I knew that. And I had very, very, every day, every morning, four times a day, I spoke with my chief exec who has, who's a shareholder in the business and I said, we, we both realised we have to change. This, this is probably going to be the biggest fundamental change we've ever seen. And actually then went in my head to you're starting again D decided that's it you're starting I again like that. no you're starting yeah. again porter this is day one start where you are and i on one hand i knew i was the hospice worker on the other hand i was the midwife and there was this dying culture and this business and actually not my business there was a dying culture everywhere yeah. but you don't want to go completely because you need to hold on to that because there's bits of that boat that you're going to need yeah but you don't want that. You don't want that in the future. So you have to give this rebirth. And that bridging was utterly exhausting. And we did it full on for a year, completely and utterly seven days a week speaking every day. What, talking about, just to be specific, what, changing your business, how you yes. operate, your model, your just the fundamentals. Not how culturally operated, because I did that about five years before when I worked like a woman and realised that actually the way that I was running business was what I'd bought into as a girl in the 80s going into the retail business. And let me tell you, that culture is not particularly great. You wouldn't want to write a book on that. Um, so that had already been done. Now, what we did is we realized about 18 months before this happened, I'd done a TED Talk. And I'd written a book called Work Like a Woman on how we should be better in business. And that I believe business has a place in the world that shouldn't be just about profit. All those tenets that we've grown up on, and certainly since the 80s and, and my time in, in work has been around fame, fame, power and money. Mm. That's it. That's what you recognise. Those are what success is. That's, and, and it's still, we're still on that yeah. to, to, a, to a huge part. Is that really what we want in the world? And is that the only way to make money? And is that the only way to create great business? So I had done a TED talk on kindness and how we need to shift. And I'd done it 18 months before, but I hadn't changed the way that I was advising businesses. Okay. I'd changed culturally the business within mine, but I wasn't changing the way we were guiding businesses. So if businesses came in and said, we want to do this, and that is we want to make X amount of money, and we're not really too worried if we're killing the planet, we did business with them. Yeah. And then within this um, terribly difficult time, we looked at those businesses and said, do we want to be with them? So now is the time we are really with our, well, flat against the wall. Do we want to rebuild or do we want to just hang on in there and believe we can get back to where we were? And we rebuilt on the kindness economy and looked at a whole new way that we believe business should be and saying to businesses, you want to be part of this? Then come to us because we believe that this is going to be the future. That's truly what I believe. That yeah. doesn't mean there aren't going to be souls out there who don't care about the planet or don't care about people. They'll be still out there making a lot of money. I don't want to be working with them. And I believe that there's going to be a greater force that's going to change the world and that's going to come from people who yeah. are going to be asking that of business. 
Can I ask you about that line where you said that I'm starting again, I'm starting afresh. Mm. How much of what you'd done first time round in your career did you keep hold of when you decided that you were going to start again? Oh, my resilience. My ability to instinctively know what the next thing is going to be culturally and what excites people when it comes to business or, or creativity within brands, what people want. I Invariably, it's been what I've been able to do in my career, so I've kept all that. Yeah. I kept my humour, my madness, my speed of work. That Those are parts of me when I'm totally aligned, make me feel happy and joyous. I didn't change that. But what I changed, so that, that was very much me and the things that made me successful i believe and a huge amount of resilience that get back up doesn't matter what you try again you go again you go again and interestingly within your business you, you i saw the ones who were you like you know the people are going to be there and are resilient enough to go this is painful this is hurt but we're getting back up again can we talk about resilience then i mm. think it's such a, a powerful message for people that listen to this what built your resilience it's a very difficult one. I mean, I, you know, of course, I, I, I had a lot thrown on my shoulders very young uh, when my mother died when I was 16. Um, but I think I grew up, I think, you know, we have these messages that come to us. I saw a father that, you know, worked and had a great work ethic, you know, and he came over on a boat from Ireland with a couple of friends and, you know, they all went into, got council houses. He said, I'm not living in that. Yeah. You know, and he, first of all, he lied and said he could drive. I mean, I'm not telling anyone to lie, but my father could tell a few fierce ones. And he couldn't drive, <laughs> got a job <laughs> driving while he learned to drive, you know. Um, so he was always, how do I survive? How do I survive? I want yeah. better. So I think I saw that. And I mixed with a mother who believed deeply in education and getting better and getting better and doing more. Well, that's not good enough. Um, and teaching and looking at the world and in a in a tangential way, not just what was in front of you. Um, so she was into poetry, she was into music, she played the violin. So this mix of this driven, crazy father and this artistic, but also very driven mother. I think that came. You know, that was that was part of it. Uh, I mean, my father. I remember I was talking to someone the other day, and my brother's well, it was my brother was over, and, and we were talking about. It was at sports day and uh, Michael was um, uh, was very good at, at running and, and uh, he was like, he came second in the race. And my dad was like, I, I was a good runner. And, and Michael's going, that's great, Dad, because I'll race you around the block. This is a 45-year-old man. He starts racing the 11-year-old in a pair of ordinary <laughs> shoes. <laughs> no such things as wearing trainers and Nike trainers in the 70s. But it was like that, you've got to race your son, you know. Who's just yeah. And it, so there's that huge drive that I must have seen. And then I think when my mother died, I... You know, out of the five kids, I, my elder siblings were at university and I was the one who was at home and took up the reins of running the family. I, and I just took responsibility very quickly. And I think, I think if you, if you do that that young, I just thought, well, you know, I can look after a family. I, I can get through this. I mean, it was mm. terribly difficult and I didn't do it particularly well. But I think you learn something about yourself. We've had a, a lot of guests on this podcast who've had trauma at a young age. And the phrase, you know, trauma leads to triumph. You know, it, it equips them with things that at the time they don't really want because it means they've had to go through the kind of trauma you've spoken about, you know, losing your your mother. But actually it does, it gives them the tools for later life when various challenges present themselves. What do you do as a leader, both, both as a mother, but also as a business leader to try and build resilience in your teams, in your family, in your, in your children? How do you pass this on if they 
thankfully are not going through the kind of traumas that you had to, to deal with to build your resilience? I think, you know, for me often, and I still am, you know, I realise, you know, at 16 losing my mother and then at sort of 18 my father, I was like, well, I'm, I'm sort of grown up now, I need it. And I realise I have, you know, children of 26, 24 and 8 and I am constantly guiding them yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, where did I think I knew it all that would be all right at that age I think resilience um I I often we are we underestimate how powerful we are and I always say to people be less tough on yourselves mm. we're so tough on ourselves I, and also you know there is a great you know English trait as well you know, we, we do put ourselves down and I think start being kinder to yourself. We have huge powers that we leave untapped because we actually just define ourselves by how others are and where we are compared to. Stop that. This starts at school. I see it with my eight-year-old already. You see it and you think, this is just crazy. You know, you're free up until six, seven, then you start doing this and you compare and, you know, everything's judged in a way. And we have ideas in this world that we've been set up through schooling and business that, quite frankly, are pants. And we should be re-looking at this, the way business is Explain run. Explain that more. And what success is done. Well, even our academic system, you know, you are absolutely, here are the lessons. This is what you're judged on. We've forgotten what creativity is. Mm. I mean, if you listen to the great Ken Robinson, who, who advised government on this, where you have to put physical into into schooling movement creativity yeah. that is not at all acknowledged you're seen as an arty one you're thrown into there this is the academic i've i've listened to him i've seen him a couple of times incredible yeah. man and then you know the halfwits in government didn't listen no didn't listen and so that's judged as what success is so you go well i'm not the top of the class i'm not academic i'm not the best in math so i'm a bit shit i hear it yeah so already you start that and that comes into business. I'm not the one that's maybe so, so numerical. I can't sit in the board meeting and analyze quickly. And so you suppress deeply your innate sense of power. Yeah. And I always say to people, open that up and believe you me, you know the answer It's in there. When you get that gut feeling that this doesn't feel right, that's telling you something much greater than all data and numbers and the people who understand logic will. So there's a great phrase in your book that really jumped out at me, Mary, when you spoke about this narrative and storytelling and how it seeps into our culture. I think you talk about narrative economics of how yeah. the world is built on what you said, then power, fame yeah. and money. What do you think is the key to start changing this narrative then? How do you do it both with your eight-year-old and how do you do it with the businesses that you're working with well the narrative i i want to change straight well obviously with my eight-year-old i i connect back to him and um and it's not always just telling him how fantastic he is that's not but i give him space to be able to be him totally him how do you do that so when he comes out of school even straight away and you know you see people ushering off i cut back a lot of the activities like you know i've got to do this class and that class no you don't <laughs> be bored be bored that's the most i creativity comes from boredom and you're not going to be all entertained and you're not going to have this and you're not going to be able to go on digital. You're just going to sit there and there's plenty of stuff in your bedroom and you watch them. You watch them just, I can hear him singing or he'll find a, just an old cricket ball that has been there, I don't know how long, under the bed and he'll just start playing with that or rolling up and down. That is how you start to open up 
and creativity comes back in. It's often the same in business. Give people space to be themselves. Narrative economics for me, the big narrative that I need to change is we sold, and I've been one of the mayor culpers who was very good at this, especially at my days as creative director of Harvey Nichols, is that we've told people by having more stuff and what you have defines you and shows success. And, of course, we know that. That's been the worst thing that's ever happened. You know, it's like the house prices rise when people say, this is what's happening in the market. It gets talked up. Mm. And people believe, oh, my God, we've got to buy that house because, <gasps> you know, the one down the road went for that. And we know that, you know, people are fleeing to the country now because they grew and the story rolls. And it's yep. very, very, very powerful. Very powerful. Nudge tactics. So, for me, the message that has been sold within... The consumer industry is, if you have this bag, it's going to make your life better. If you have that dress, oh my God, that designer label, that car, that's been there for now 40 years. And we've absolutely ruined the planet in our search for more, more, more. So what's the new narrative? And the new narrative has to be around that actually, I call it um, status sentience, that actually a respect for the planet and a respect for how much you do spend and how you live is going to give greater status than the stuff that went before. And that's the narrative we need to get out there. Because there's that really beautiful story you tell in your book that when I read it, it sort of stopped me in my tracks about the young girl when you were at Harvey Nichols. I'll let you tell the story about when you walked through the office and you heard somebody cooing. And you okay. thought it was a child they were describing. When I was at Harvey Nichols, the, you know, this was at the time when uh, the really what I, what I would call status symbols, it was what brands did you have, what they said about you. And a huge growth in that was where the accessory market. I have to explain this because this wasn't, this wasn't happening in the 70s. This didn't happen in the 60s. This was really the 80s boom. You know, America was the city that you turned up to. It was like pulsating with money. I mean, you know, Trump Tower on the front of Time magazine with money. This said so much about us. So the fashion industry was booming. And, and actually, each season we would have to choose what designer, you know, who I was going to get behind, what campaigns we were going to create, how we were going to sell their goods. And at the time, Tom Ford had gone into Gucci and he was like the god, you know. He was actually like a model himself. Everyone was like talking about the Gucci show. We all went to it and it was like, amazing. And uh, he came out with this bag called the horse bit. And I remember going, you know, meeting the team at Gucci and you didn't negotiate how much we were going to buy and what we were going to put behind it to promote it. And we just created this, you know, this must have, this must have. And I remember one day, and this was a bag, I think it was overground, walking through the office. And I was going from my office and I was going to the accounts, going through the accounts office. And I passed this girl just talking, a young girl. And I've called her Emma in the book. And she was literally cooing about, she said, I, I've always, I can't believe this has happened. It's so beautiful. And I thought, blimey, she talking to her about a newborn. And she had a Gucci bag. And I remember thinking, oh, great, you know, look, that how successful, you know, wow, look, this is now those kids who have just been saving up to buy this. Of course, what a terrible thought, you know, how disillusioned was I? But what intrigued me about that, Mary, was that how do you break that pattern? Because you were being rewarded for doing your job really well. And that mm. was a mm. sign of your success. So mm. how do you think we measure our success differently now then? Because I believe that we should, well, first of all, look at what Patagonia is doing. It's probably one of the most successful fashion brands globally. Black Friday, which every retailer hates and has got to be the most hideous 
promotional day there is, where it's just about how much stuff can we sell at a discount. Patagonia went out with ads, as did a lot of other really evolved brands, saying, you don't need to buy another coat. This is completely goes against the grain of how we have marketed. Yeah. Repair it. Now, I went into Patagonia before this was last November. I was in New York and you could see these big businesses that were failing at Fort Fall. And I remember walking to Macy's floor after floor after floor after floor of stuff, emptying out sales, sales. No one had seen the future that was changing. Patagonia was packed. People buying into what they what they, their ethos and their culture and their value system. Now, their value system is based on creating stuff that is sustainable, that gives jobs to people, that gives is not in any way abusing people. They think of the, the fabrics that they use that's good for the planet. And everything they do is recyclable. They have secondhand that they sell. So they create this economy yep. that's respectful. That's the way we need to go. That is the way we need to go. And the narrative has to be this new sexy narrative that actually having too much is gauche. And actually, yeah. I don't think that does reflect terribly well on you. So line up who wants to be there. We've got a big job to do there. What would the uh, 25-year-old Mary Portis have made of Black Friday? Oh, well, I would have probably hated it, but I'd have been bloody good at it and <laughs> sold more shit than they needed, quite you frankly. You know, and um, yeah. I'd have thought, well, fantastic. I would have. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you've been on this brilliant journey, and it sounds like the consumer is going on this journey as well. What has sparked this? Oh, the, the planet's dying. We're dying. Our well-being. We are really, really obese, depressed. We have real, real serious health issues and mental health issues. But it, lots of it started, and I, I talked about this in my, in my TED Talk, when um, you started to feel these rumblings of, you know, the Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement. We started to feel what were the voices coming out and going, mm. what are we doing here? 
Mm. What way are we living here? And of course, you know, Greta Thunberg, amazing. Standing, probably the most famous woman in the world at the moment is a young woman who's going, we're buggering our planet. So all what was subcultures became these mainstream cultures and driven very much by generations, not by my generation, who are going, yes, what are we doing here? So it's been happening, it's been happening, it's been happening, and it's now it's reached really mainstream. And I don't think there'll be anybody who doesn't think about this. That doesn't mean we're all changing our ways, yeah. but I don't think there's anybody who's sitting here today not thinking about what are we doing and how are we living. So when you go in with your business and you're advising these retailers, what's the kind of questions that you're posing to them? Well, first of all, what is your purpose and how are you creating that? We call it, we actually go for philosophy more because you can write a purpose and they can stick it on their website and go out and tell everybody, yeah, but are you living it? Are you really living it? So that, first of all, is how we start to work with them. We create that philosophy with them if they haven't got it and really try to get to the truth. And you know when you're getting greenwashing and you know when you've got someone who's just giving you a lip service. And so we move away from that. And But invariably, most businesses want to do better. They really do, but they don't know how. So that's the first thing that we start with. And then we start to take, you don't have to be, totally sustainable by this this is too big a thing for you so we give steps on what you can do and those steps aren't just about sustainability as well it's about how do you treat your people better how do you treat people that connect with your brand better how do you put them at the center how do you work with communities because we believe that businesses should be living institutions whether they're physical or whether they're digital that is the role of business today that you actually should be creating a connection with the people that is greater than just selling stuff. So then we actually enjoy, do it in a joyful way. We create a playbook for them and go, hear about these ideas. Why don't you try one of these? Why don't you test this out? And they actually have fun doing that, you know, just going, because it doesn't have to be a big, dry, totally sustainable and green and, you know, your, your emissions down by 2040. Why don't you start playing in this area? And once you start to do that, People, you give them to different teams that make it happen, they all start to get revved up by this. So give us some brilliant examples of the playbooks and the kind of answers that you're getting with them. So you'd say that, okay, let's first of all think about how you are telling people who come into your physical space what you do, right? So we give them some great ideas of how to connect and actually take the time to speak to people and tell them about their philosophy. Forget that you're selling stuff, right? I want you to go into that and actually believe that you're here to make people's lives better. How would you start to do that when you interact with people, whether that's in the digital space or whether that's in the physical space? And you start to give teams of people, don't, you're not selling me anything. Start doing that. I've come into your place and I want you to tell me what excites you about this and why this is going to make my world better. And meanwhile, they will be doing work on what they're doing on that brand and that product. And you start to see people just becoming alive. You say, you're not a sales assistant. You're a person interacting with another person. Tell me how you do that. And you start taking away their titles. You start taking away the end goal of they've got to sell. And you start to see people talking honestly. And it's absolutely wonderful. And they realize also how much they do know about the product that they're doing. We think of names for products that they're making, actually giving names to those products, and we create sub-brands that they might not be doing that we think, why don't you do this? Why don't you partner with this other brand? 
And we believe that creating a sub-brand with another brand creates collaboration, completely different brand, and you're going to end up with this product that you might not have sold before. But with this, we don't normally do that. Let's just try that. So it's all different ways of expanding the brand and it's how it connects with people and puts people first at the heart of their business, which in turn feeds the planet better. So let me ask you a hypothetical then, because we have a range of people that listen to this podcast and a big demographic are teachers. Now, we've touched on the Ken Robinson stuff of how to challenge the narrative within education. How could you take your approach of asking someone for their philosophy and how that can then manifest itself in a school, for example? I remember actually the day when I stopped enjoying school and it was one teacher who was just frightened the pants off me, which is a really horrible thing, actually. It's a really terrible thing. And my sister, well, there's five of us, two of us had this teacher and it really, we both remember this happening and being absolutely debilitating and the other three not having it. Well, I think if I was running a school, first of all, I would have a very clear philosophy. I often look at schools and they put out there what they've achieved and it's brilliant and, you know, academically and what they strive to and how they, what sort of pupils they want to put out into the world. But I rarely hear a philosophy that they have that is shared. And whether that's a song, I'd even make it into a song. So that each day they started with that, and they knew. No, but I've just thought of that (laughs) idea. Actually, I might sell that to an idea for a client. (laughs) (laughs) I'd make it into a song, singing for children, and that's what Ken Robinson says is amazing. And I know often, I know when my young son is happy, and I put him to bed, and I just hear him singing. It is the most wonderfully touching thing, and we lose that. We don't sing often enough do we when would you feel free to just to start singing in front of someone someone your voice isn't good enough actually but just to be free and not care so I would probably start with the philosophy that I would put into a song and that they start actually I did come up with an idea for it It was one of one of the big really brilliant businesses um in um with the body shop on how they should start their morning of actually in the way that a lot because at the heart of what the body shop does was all, I mean, Anita Roddick was genius. We're talking the 70s about, she talked about saving the planet and not harming anyone. The 70s, right? Got bought out by L'Oreal, who actually made it as boring as batshit. And now it's been bought back out again by the people who own Aesop, which is a Brazilian company. And we got called in to work with them on that. And we actually started the team off with a mantra and uh, that they started each morning. You know, in the way the all blacks go out and they do yeah, something, yeah, the not quite as mad as that. But actually, it was this commitment to the world and to the planet that they actually connected each day, every Everybody that went on that shop floor started off that way feeling. And it just gave such a wonderful energy to them. And it just broke this idea that we're here just to sell stuff. Yeah. Even the title sales assistant went, you know, and it was just wonderful. So I think I would start with schools. I'd think of a philosophy and I'd make it into a song and I'd actually get the kids to sing that each day. Now, I can understand that. We've both got young kids, same age as yours. So it makes perfect sense to us. If I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a business leader, I'm hearing everything and I'm thinking, brilliant, you know, you've seen the light, you've completely sort of transformed from the person that was all about stack them high and sell them quick in the 70s and 80s. But I'm a business leader and I've got bills to pay and I've got mortgages and I've got loads of staff to look after. How do you convince these businesses when you go in with this wonderfully creative approach, which, by the way, I think is fantastic. How do you then have the conversation about the financial side? How do you convince them? Because well, I make give money? examples of businesses that are making money. They're making it. On my podcast, I had uh, the Lush owner 
He's a crazy entrepreneur. And, you know, his, his vision is very strong. I mean, really. But everything he does, he just doesn't give any harm and he makes the planet better. Yeah. So every choice that they make from even where they get the salt from is that, you know, I'm going to go for a slightly more expensive one because the salt that we choose mm. is affecting birds in certain area. I can't even give the right example. One of the most profitable businesses that's grown. So... Of course, I, and if the hard-headed businessman goes, well, no, I, I, I just want to focus in this way, then there's nothing I can do about yeah, that. Yeah. But I can show you other ways. It, and that is what we've done. And that is what we've done with businesses. And we show that. And, and there's too many examples that yeah. are just getting better. I was having the owners of Cook, which is one of those incredible little, you know, frozen food businesses. Everything they have done has put people and the planet at the heart of it. Everything one of the most successful growing food businesses. It's happening in the fashion industry. It's happening. So, look, you fall into the give a fucks or don't give a fuck. Quite simply that. And there's a and lot of don't give a fuck. So don't give a fuck, make the money. I don't then, you know, I'm not for you, neither yeah. is my agency. And we're not all coming in going, woohoo, happy clappy. <laughs> I like making money. Yeah. I really like having money. I like a nice life. And I will continue to do that. I don't want to not have money. But I also want a conscience. And I want to be able to sleep at night and go, yes, actually, I've done something that makes a difference. You want to join that? Then join us. We've got some great ideas. And what advice for people then that want to change like you, but they go, COVID, just want to get the business stable again, get back on my feet, the time isn't right. And we talk often on this podcast, like people always wait for the perfect moment to be brave or to put other things other than profit first. And I think if you do that, you probably never make the decision, do you? Yeah. That's so what you're those saying. people that are concerned about it now, what's your advice But it is concerning. And, and the thing is, you know, it's what I talk about the hospice. You know, you don't throw everything up in the air. You have to plan. You have to have a vision. You have to, and you have to believe in that. And there will be times where you go, of course you do. Even the best people, we can't say, of course, it's definitely going to work. But what will come out of it is the right outcome. And if you connect deeply with your belief system and your your inner strength, that's all I can talk about, your inner frequency, which is the best guiding light in any of this, then you'll go where you're meant to go to. Mm. But if you keep feeding the short term and the fear, you will never move past that. Quite simply, you won't. That doesn't mean you chuck everything out and you haven't got to look at the bills, but you cleverly go, right. And I often used to go, what's the least I can live on? Where do we start from there? I've done that many times in my life. Literally, back of a fag packet, not a fag packet, it's smoke, but, you know, literally that. How do I get by on this? I can yeah. get by on this. Just that safety so you're not silly and you just know that you need to do enough. But in the meantime, the, in the wings, I'm building and creating and, and moving forward. And actually, I find that really exciting. You know, just get excited by it. And also, don't be, don't be under the shadow of other people's ideas if you don't believe them. You know, we've sold in some shit ideas in the way business should be run in the past and they haven't worked for people they haven't we've seen that they haven't worked for they've worked for the growth economy growth at any cost and listen to Kate Rayworth on that talking about that you know we believed economists and economists quite frankly you know are academic accountants yeah that's what ruled the world and actually they got be they were better at branding economics than they were social psychology and and philosophy We've got to bring that in. We've got to bring it in. And there will be people in business, you know, who don't want to hear it. That's okay. That's really their powerful. choice. There's a brilliant phrase that, again, just resonates that I've read in your book about elastic thinking. 
Yeah. The idea of being fluid, not being stuck in old tropes or old narratives. What would you say for somebody that is still listening to this and maybe resistant? What's the simplest way of becoming elastic in your thinking that you've found where you've met these CEOs that maybe are resistant, they're in the don't give a fuck camp? What's the simplest technique you've used that starts to create a shift? Well, I often do. If you're starting this again, what, what would you do? They suddenly go, no, no, forget what, don't, don't want to go, don't look in the rear view mirror, last year's figures, they're all gone. It's all gone. What, what, if you were starting this again, what would you do? Knowing what you do. Brilliant. Knowing what you do. Just tell me, just throw out, what would you do? What have you, what, what have you always wanted to do? And they start to open up and talk about, you know, I thought we had this idea, but forget the buts. Forget the buts, was a but. We can p- put the logic and the data in. And we need that. We do need that. I like that. You know, I'm with my finance director, Mark, give me the numbers. How's it backing up? You know, I'm not sitting here going, woohoo. You know, how many people do we need to yeah. feed? How many jobs have we got? Del- of course you do. But there was a wonderful piece that was my, the, the Sufi poet Rumi that just said, we know one and one makes two. And what we always forget is the and. It's the and. That it's the nuance, it's the, the bits in between that make life. Yep. That's what makes life. And creativity is so often seen as, you know, these hipsters with beards in East London are going to give you the answers. No, it's in all of us. And we suppress it because we think we can't. And once you open up, and what COVID has taught us ha- has been this creative, elastic thinking because we've had nowhere else to go. And there's been such ingenuity, really ingenuity stuff that I've seen. I've gone, my God, that is so clever. And some of the digital players have really created what I thought couldn't be done as as well on digitally is community and connection. Mm. And that I will just give as examples to chief execs time and time again, time and time again. And, And letting some people just within the business play with the business Take risk, risk and fall and get back up. Put a budget aside and just go go off and be risky with it. Because from that, you just get those little pieces of magic. love the fact that you keep mentioning this word, whether it's a playbook or go and play mm. or be bored and then go and play on your own. There's something really quite powerful about that phrase. Yes. That it reminds us of childhood. Yes. But actually, you're talking about it. Yes. Well, we do that in the playbook. We go, how much is your budget? What are you looking? How much are you spending on this? We look at it and just go, just take 10% of that. So, you know, it's a bit like when someone says, you know, when you want to put a little bit of you know, investment in, can you afford to lose it? You go, yeah, okay. How much can you afford to lose? Let's play with that. Mm. You know, and it's a wonderful thing because it's so controlled budgets and what, you know, they have to know what your return on investment is going to be. No, no, let's just take a piece and say, let's take some of that money and see, would you notice if it didn't come? No, let's play with that. And you start to give it to teams of people and we mix it up. We actually bring people in or aren't experts, particularly in that area, and you mix them up and they come in with a different idea. So it's not just the marketing team and that's the accounts team and that's the sales team. Actually, we're going to mix them up and we're going to have what we call naive experts. I'm an expert in this. You're naive in it, but you're an expert in another area. How do we get them together and create some ideas that we think will be just cracking in the business? And then you start just testing them out. Brilliant. Do you know what I love about this conversation is this kind of mix of incredible experience, the fact that the way you see the world has clearly changed a lot in the last 20 or 30 years, Mm. but also like the excitement you've got for what lies ahead. I'm interested to know about your optimism then. This all sounds wonderful. How optimistic are you that this is the world that our kids are going to grow up in? These are the high streets that they're going to go to. 
with care and with love and with compassion for each other on the planet? I am optimistic that we'll see a better future. I really do. I think, you know, we think we've had a really great run at it because, you know, everything was economically safe. I actually think it's going to be a better world with better people. I do. I look at my kids' generation, certainly my Gen Z ones, and I just think, you're gorgeous. I wish I thought like that. How blind was I? You know, it was a consumer, just literally coma we were in. It was like that. Even the word consumer, you judge me by what I consume. I'm not looking at the person. That word's just, isn't it? You've just all got this sort of, you know, those what those heads, those flip-top things that you just keep stuffing stuff down. I have that vision of that. So interestingly, what's come out of this is two very key things, is connection and community has become one of the most important things. And actually local high streets, when I did my report 10 years ago, and they, you know, used to say to me, have you spoken with the government, you know, Philip Green? And I'd think, well, yes, I have met him. I'm not sure I want to have his advice on what uh, the high street will be. <laughs> Knows how to make money. <laughs> Knows how to make money. And actually, it was too early. But what I talked about was this connection that we need so deeply and desperately. And we've seen a rise in local high streets coming back because of COVID, what's happened. And people relied on them and they saw how important it was. And now with the growth of us sort of spending more time at home, we're going to need them even more. So you can't let it go though, can we? That's the risk. I no, think. you can't let it go. But if you can also you can't also go just, you know, shop it or you'll lose it and you just end up to high streets that have got sort of random mix of, you know, chicken shops and, mm. you know, pop-up art galleries because the shop's empty. You won't want to do that. So there needs to be a proper national, I think, framework plan on it. And uh, there's some brilliant stuff that's happening in the world. In Milan, they're looking at 15-minute cities, you know, everything within walking distance or a bicycle for all your needs. That Now, that starts to get, I'm like, that, I understand that yeah. that's the way we should be going. Um, so there's some great initiatives. It would be great if the Tory government opened their eyes up to them. Let's see. We live in hope. We do live in hope. And I think that is deeply important. Mm. We started the conversation talking about culture. Mm. We're going to end it with our quickfire questions. And the first one is really about culture. And it is your three non-negotiables, not just for you, but for the people that you invite to be in, in your world, in your circle. Collaboration. It's we, not me. Yeah. Ego codged in the corner. And we've all got a bit of an ego. I love it when you're loving it, and you're, but don't, don't let it pull the rest down. Creativity, because I think that's got to be at the heart of everyone. Think, mm. think, think laterally, think elastically. I don't, I don't care what department you're in or who, what you're working on. That's what's going to give us the answers in this. And resilience, I think. Brilliant. You know, and I can tell when someone's having a tough time and we have a great support system, but, you know, can you get back up? And being with us all together in this, I think, is, is deeply important. What one piece of advice would you give to a teenage Mary just starting out on this journey? Listen to your inner voice. The biggest mistakes I've made in my life is when I've ignored that. It's there and it comes up. And you go, you can rationalise and go, no, no, actually listen to it. It's there because actually you're equal. We're all equal. And you have great power and sensitivity and the answers inside you. You know, learn all around you. Pick up. God, that's fantastic. You know, I'm learn, learn, open, open. But listen to that. You've shared some lovely quotes and thoughts from various books and things. And I know you have your own podcast and your own book that we've <laughs> talked about. You can't name your own on this answer, but... Um, <laughs> Someone did that on Desert Island, didn't did they? they? Yeah. It was an opera singer. <laughs> she named all remember, seven songs, yeah, didn't she? She did all her, her opera. What, and they went with it and did the... Yeah. yeah, yeah all the That's a songs. tough one, doing that right, one. Right, well, you're not allowed to. No, no, so, I don't. Um, if I was to ask you for one book, podcast, recommendation, or a quote that you'd like our, our audience or 
our listeners to delve a bit further with, what would you go for? Well, I am going to go for a spiritual teaching book, which I think is incredibly good. That was just great for me. And that's The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer, I think is um, an extraordinary book. Have you read it? No, no. It's incredible. Is it? Uh, yeah. It's what comes at you every day. And it's don't look at something that's good, that's bad. Don't judge it. Just go out into that world and go, right, okay, this is coming to me and get excited by how you connect with it. Look at it. But it's much deeper than that. It's a really terrible explanation of it. It's an extraordinary book. And I have many lines where I've underlined, I think page 77 particularly. (laughs) And it's it's one that's a guiding light whenever I find I've gone off and I'm not in alignment. Lovely. What would you describe as your greatest strength and your greatest weakness? Well, in business, my greatest strength is uh, the can do it and, and, and being in, innovative. I just always come up with something new, something new, something new, and to the extent that my team have to go around, which one are we going to pick or where do we work with this? And I think my greatest weakness is the detail sometimes. I don't want to know it. I don't know it. And actually, I've really had to learn about that in COVID, no PA when I was in lockdown. Everything else, like, what, 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 <laughs> what, what do I do with that? And I've had to go into a very sort of still place to go, right, focus, focus. Even today, I actually finally worked out how to do my printer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good day. Uh, and, and the final one, really, and this is just kind of, I guess, a last message, really for the audience who are enjoying this and it has been brilliant by the way which is just your your kind of one golden rule to leave people with for living a high performance life be generous i think i i, I said be kind and i i call it the kindness kind and generous because that makes you so much bigger yeah and people just remember that it just opens up i don't know somehow it just lifts you up and i think you know, in my, some of my early days, you know, you just wanted to be, you know, the acclaimed one and recognised. And geez, being generous and kind to other humans just uh, is it's it's uh, Jacqueline Novogratz's book on how to she 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 built um, back an incredible business that's give back to the world. But she talks about what were the soft skills in business that was always the HR department, you know, but actually being kind and loving and generous are actually the hardest things to do in business. And, um, you know, we can all put on this persona and actually those are the most hard, but actually they're going to be the ones in the future because you need to understand humanity. Who was the lady who created the HR at Netflix? And they created the Netflix. Patty McCord. Patty McCord. I had her talk once and she said almost exactly the same thing. She said, people run a business and like the HR is kind of, what about HR? She said, hold on, HR, what? hiring and dealing with the people in your business. Yeah. HR is the single most important part of a business. Totally. It's not the boring bit of the business. It is your business. It is Even the business. To describe people as human resources. It's yeah. so cold. <laughs> yeah, you're human right. Human resources. Yeah. Used to be personnel. Yeah, uh, yeah it's um, the people and, and how you make them feel. And I think, you know, the way we feel and how we feel about ourselves motors us. You know, I think we forget about feeling so often. It was Jacqueline Novogratz. It was the moral revolution. That's what she's written. Beautiful. Wonderful. Beautiful well, look, piece of work. Thank you for coming on. My and being So generous and... Um, kind. Yeah, and kind. <laughs> and uh, it was really wonderful. Thank you. It was lovely meeting you, Ben. Thanks, man. Oh, oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Damien. Jake. What I love about that is that Mary is kind of like the embodiment of the fact that we can all change and we can all learn and we can all improve and it should be a constant journey. And I just want people that are listening to this not to think, well, yeah, that's Mary and I'm me and I've got a different mindset. Like she readily admits the conversation that we've had today is not the conversation that we would have had with her 
20 or 30 years ago in the same way that we spoke to so many people who tell us it would have been a different conversation if we'd have spoken with them a, a decade or so ago. Yeah, there's a great Muhammad Ali quote that um, came to mind when we were talking with Mary there that said, uh, the person that's the same at the age of 60 that they were at the age of 20 has almost wasted their life. They've not they've had experiences that they've not reflected on and gone back and revisited their own thoughts, their beliefs, their philosophies. And I think she was a living embodiment of somebody at 60 year old that has been incredibly successful uh, in her career, but she's open to new ideas, new ways of operating. And I think it's only useful for Mary to come and talk like this if people understand what that is about. And what that is about is not Mary Portas coming on and sharing a change in her mindset, because actually for the people listening to this, that's kind of irrelevant. What this is about in the same way that we're writing a high-performance book at the moment, and that book is about people actually using it, actively using it to improve themselves, a conversation like this has to be about people actively taking on the things that she said today, making notes, writing it down in a week's time, asking themselves, right, have I lived in the way that Mary mentioned? If you run a business and it is all about turnover, can you change your mindset? How do you alter the culture? People have to respond to these kinds of conversations. Otherwise, they get nothing from them. It's a wasted hour. And the question she's, she's posing, that she was recounting whether she does it to business leaders or she's done it to herself, starting with this idea of what's your philosophy? What would you do if you had to start again? How can you introduce play into your life? These are all powerful questions that any of us can apply it, whatever we're doing, wherever we are in our lives. It was a really, really, really interesting conversation. And you know those ones where you don't want it to slip through your fingers? Like In my head, I was like, I must remember that. I must remember yeah, that. Yeah. I know now, she's only walked out of the room two minutes ago. I know now I will not remember them, but I will listen to this back and I will make notes and I will, I'll try and change the way I live. Well, that's like a lot of people have said it about some of these podcasts where it's only when they've gone back two or three times to re-listen that they've picked up different nuances or subtleties or a different message. And... I think the sign of a great discussion is when you want to do that. And I think we'll both do that in terms of revisiting what Mary's offered today. Once again this week, it's been really interesting for Damien and myself to see all the comments and the reaction that you've had, not just to the episode that we uploaded last week with Ben Francis, um, but actually people finding episodes that we've recorded months ago, sometimes even years ago, um, and coming and, and talking to us about them. So please, if you, can, if you can leave a review, if you can rate the podcast, then it really does make a big difference to us. Um, nice message from Jared Hughes, the Olympic snowboarder, saying, I'm loving the podcast. I've been listening for a while now. I've really loved hearing the Hector Bayerin episode. I've always thought I was a bit of an outlier with prioritizing happiness and fun for the sake of performance. So I thought it was amazing to hear it from him. Thank you so much. Keep it up. And on a similar vein, actually, Craig Newman has sent us a question in Damien. And he says, um, I've just started listening to the podcast. I'm really enjoying it. It's a genuine question about the Eddie Hearn episode. If you've not listened to it, by the way, people, go and, go and track it down. He was very interesting. And he says, there's a theme that I've listened to in a, a few of your podcasts about sacrificing everything. Sacrifice is undoubtedly a part of making yourself and life better, but it has to be balanced with mental health, says Craig. I know you're both passionate about mental health. So how did the Eddie Hearn interview sit with you where he was almost judging people because they asked about holiday days? 
you must have rest. You must recuperate as that is when you grow, right? I'm genuinely interested in your response and I appreciate you guys are busy. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to catching up with all of the back catalogue. So that was a question from, from Craig Newman. And yeah, we do talk about the power of rest and recuperation, Damien. And I think, I think we do have to be really careful about talking on the podcast about constant, relentless pushing yourself to the limit because actually that is going to create mental health problems for some people. Yeah, I think it's a really important point that you're making, Jake, and that and that question really touches on it, that rest is part of high performance. It's not an alternative to it. It's part of your ability to go out there and sustain high performance. I think when I often talk with coaches, we talk about the four pillars of high performance. We talk about technical, tactical, physical, and in other words, psychological is the fourth one. And I think that lots of coaches focus on getting people fit, getting giving them the, te- uh, the tactics to go and perform and brushing up on technical skills. The psychological, and I'd include rest in that and the ability to reflect and go back and just sometimes take a pause is just as important as those other four pillars. It's like having one wobbly leg on a table. Your table's never balanced if you don't have that. But then I also think it's important to point out, Damien, that for some people, like the relentless, constant push, push, push to the limits is okay because for them it is okay. It doesn't mean this has to be the approach for everybody. But I remember when we first started this podcast, I was really keen that the message people got from the pod was be relentless, be committed, be consistent, push yourself to the limit, go to bed exhausted, become a husk of a person because you've absolutely given everything every single day. And now I kind of combine that with, yes, do all that if it works for you, if it makes you happy. I think coming back to the whole happiness thing is the most important element of the whole podcast. So be relentless, be consistent, but be happily relentless and happily consistent. And I think what I don't want people to do is listen to someone like Eddie Hearn talk and think, right, I must be like him. But equally, that works for Eddie Hearn. Let's be totally frank. That is fine for him because he can handle it. He can cope with it. It's what That's what gives him his energy. For other people, that's not the case. Yeah, and that's the beauty of this whole series that we've uh, that we've been lucky enough to speak to so many people, Jake. And there is no one way to this. This is that if there was one message that people take away from it is that what works for Eddie Hearn, he's not advocating that it works for you. You know, he's equally... We've spoken to Johnny Wilkinson that has, that has told us about the trauma that he suffered in many ways from having that kind of mindset and how he's learned a different approach. Most recently, Hector Bellerin, that Jared, the snowboarder, uh, referenced about putting fun just as important as performance. There's so many different ways. There is no one way. So I'd urge anyone, don't, don't try and be a carbon copy of anyone that you're listening to here. I think, you know what, that this basically comes back to what Hector Behrens said, which, you know, the comment he made about be a candle. So when things are up or things are down, be a candle. And I think that for some people that that is so important to have that constant flame burning in a really kind of healthy way. But for some people, the candle burning is all about the fun and the enjoyment and the seeing their friends and being connected to themselves really well. For other people, it is about being in a meeting at 4am and being on a call to Australia at 11pm. That's just... That's what keeps their candle burning. And I think the key for this is, as Johnny Wilkinson said, is explore. Like, explore what it is that gives you your energy, puts a smile on your face, and go with that, you know? Yeah. I had an interesting conversation this week with somebody that was looking at um, uh, taking on a new job. 
And what I was advocating was, well, go and explore the market, go and explore it. Because once you go and have a curious mindset, you're going to be stronger for it. You either appreciate the job that you have today and you come at it with a renewed sense of passion, or you find that there's a better job out there for you that you go and take on and you go in with that renewed sense of passion. But having the curiosity, the bravery to go and explore what the market is, is the key element of this. But either way, you're going to be stronger for it. And I think that's what I'd advocate for anyone listening to this, Jake, that go and explore these different mindsets, these different stories, and there'll be some lessons you can take from one that are more applicable than you can take from others. But either way, you'll be stronger for uh, for being curious and exploring. Brilliant. Um, Richie Steele got in touch, said, as a former rower with aspirations of making the Olympics, I would joke with my teammates that you know you've made it when you're invited on a question of sport. I now think the High Performance Podcast is the new question of sport. Love that. And hopefully one day you'll be inviting me on. Keep up the good work and keep the podcasts coming. Uh, Richie, all the very best. Thanks very much for that. And Tom on Instagram says, Hey guys, I got sent the Total Wolf episode to listen to. I've been hooked ever since. I've rattled through nearly 50% of your back catalogue in only a few weeks. It's inspirational at the least and life-changing at best. It's teaching me to be a better employee a better person, and most importantly, a better dad and husband. My goal to get to the next level of management in my current job was starting to fade. I was getting bored, but it's reignited the passion I have, and I will succeed. Also, as a part-time job, I now want to work for Mr. Timpson. What a guy. Um, And actually, that's quite a nice way to finish, because whether it was, I suppose it was James Timpson that spoke about it first of all, but then we have, you know, Mary Portas, which is the episode that people have just listened to today, Damien, with a very similar mindset. And I think we're getting to the point where putting kindness and empathy at the heart of anything that you do is what is going to separate you. And I think the people that don't have that as the centre, they're going to find that their businesses or whatever they're involved in slowly starts to fade. Yep. In a world where we've got a proliferation of choice, I think it's the human touch, like you say, the kindness, the decency, the empathy that is going to distinguish people's uh, businesses and their offering uh, from the rest of the competition so there you go people um as we've just discussed if it works for you be relentless if it doesn't then find whatever it is that floats your boat uh, make sure you explore and look at all the different ways that different people have lived and achieved on the high performance podcast don't judge yourself against them but feel free to explore the way they do it and see if that works for you as well. Um, But empathy and kindness at the heart of everything you're doing with a large dollop of happiness and you can't go too far wrong. Thanks a lot, Damien. Thanks, Jake. Loved it as ever. Me too. Thank you very much to Damien, of course. Thanks also to Will and Hannah for their hard work. Thanks as well to Finn Ryan and Sophie King from Rethink Audio for their hard work on this podcast. And just a quick reminder that all of the podcasts that you hear, you can also watch. All you have to do is go to YouTube, just search for High Performance Podcast, and you can watch the interviews right there. Tens of millions of people have watched the interviews on there. So go and join the party on YouTube. And of course, you can also join the High Performance Circle. Just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com and get your invite and you will get so much more content for free from the High Performance Podcast. See you soon.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.